Some families have observed an old tradition of naming sons after the father. So a man named William Hartman and his wife have a son, and they name him William Hartman II. And perhaps that son later has a son, names him William Hartman III. This could go on for a while, but none of it could happen if there had not been an original William Hartman. He's the firstborn, who then had many others named after him. Well, something like that happened spiritually through Jesus, too. He is the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn from the dead. Today on Groundwork, we'll look at the letter to the Colossians and what Paul has to say about Jesus as the firstborn. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, this is our fourth and final Advent program for this year, corresponding to the four Sundays and the four weeks of Advent. Advent meaning arrival. And of course, during the season of Advent, we principally focus on Jesus' first Advent in Bethlehem when he was born of the Virgin Mary, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. We do spend a little time in Advent also looking ahead to the second coming, though we haven't done much of that in this series. But in this series, we've been going to key passages in the Apostle Paul, where Paul makes clear that the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God being made flesh, the incarnation, the enmeetment of the Son of God, is central. And uh, we've been in Galatians and Philippians and 1 Timothy, and now we're going to conclude this series in Colossians. Advent traditionally is the beginning of the Christian year. Mm-hmm. Our year doesn't begin January 1. It begins the first Sunday of Advent. And there's a reason why the church through the ages has thought it to be very helpful to rehearse these basic facts seasonally, year after year after year. Yeah. And so we, we kind of trace the whole story of Jesus' life, beginning with his birth his miraculous conception by the Virgin Mary, his birth in uh, Bethlehem, and then his life, his ministry, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. And we go through that story again and again, as familiar as it is, because our salvation is grounded in that. So as we've seen already, Paul emphasizes that his birth was under the law in Galatians so that he could keep the law for us. And in Philippians, he humbled himself. He gave up all the privileges and the prerogatives of his divine status in order to uh, join his divine nature to a human nature. And then last time, quite simply put, it's faithful and trustworthy, and we can stake our lives on the fact that he came to save sinners. So now, though, we're going to kind of open it up and see this glorious picture that he presents to the church in Colossa of the cosmic Christ. Right. In the second program, when we were in the letter to the Philippians, we noted that Paul knew the Philippian congregation well. He had planted it. He had been there. He'd spent time there. That's not true of the church in Colossa. The church in Colossa was founded by, planted by a man named Epaphras. Paul knew of them by reputation and through secondhand reports, probably through Epaphras primarily. We hear that already in the Thanksgiving section in the very beginning of Colossians chapter 1, where Paul makes it clear that he has heard about these people. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. 
In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned of it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and he told us of your love in the Spirit. Yeah, right. So uh, Colossa was a small city actually in the interior of the Roman province of Asia. It was not too far from the city of Laodicea. You may be familiar with that place from the letters of Revelation. Paul was based in Ephesus for a number of years. Now we think he's in Rome writing from prison under house arrest, most likely. And he writes Colossians at about the same time as he wrote Philippians. But as you pointed out, Scott, there's a real major difference between these two letters because in the one hand in in Philippi, he's writing dear old friends. And in the other, he's writing basically strangers and he wants to give them some encouragement, some correctives to what he's heard about uh, them, uh, but also this sense of the supremacy of Christ. Right. Yeah. By the way, you you mentioned that he probably wrote uh, Colossians and Philippians about the same time. We also think he may have written the very short letter to Philemon at the same time, because at the end of this book, uh, this letter, Colossians, he says that a man named Tychicus was going to hand deliver the letter. They didn't have the uh, mail system back then. Tychicus was going to hand deliver the letter, and with Tychicus was going to be somebody named Onesimus. And we know that Onesimus is the name of the runaway slave whom Philemon owned. And Paul writes Philemon to say, receive him back as a brother, not as a slave. So this Onesimus that went along with this letter probably also had Philemon in the back pocket um, as well. Just kind of interesting little tidbit. But you're right, Dave. Paul knows about the Colossians, and he knows about the city of Colossa from the reports. And if there is one thing that Paul knew about Colossa is that it was a hotbed of spirituality and false religion. There was evidence that there was some interesting, almost cult-like features of people trying to worship angels, catch uh, glimpses uh, of angels, seeking spiritual transport and kind of a spiritual high. But there was also a kind of a complicated scheme of a whole hierarchy of gods, and there's some evidence of syncretism, where some people in Colossa were starting to weave Christianity into these other systems. And one implication of that is that, well, maybe Jesus is just a god and maybe not the god, and so he kind of fits in this wider Greco-Roman hierarchy of gods, and Paul needed to get right at that in this letter. In some ways, Colossians is extremely relevant to our situation Mm. in uh, North America today or throughout the West because we, too, are increasingly living in the midst of a cross-current of spiritualism, religious ideas, syncretism, mashing different religious ideas together into one personal cocktail of spirituality. And Colossa was exactly like that. They sat smack in the middle of an area on the Silk Road, actually, a major trade route east-west, where there were all these cross currents of Near Eastern religions, of Roman religion and and the worship of the emperor, and uh, local traditions and gods and, and all the rest. And so Paul has to emphasize to these believers now, look, you've come to know and love and worship the Lord Jesus. And he's the one who's got to be the be-all and the end-all for you. 
don't mix him up with anything or anyone else. Yeah, Jesus can't get shoehorned into some other religious scheme. He is the one. And in just a moment, in a breathtaking passage that rounds out Colossians chapter 1, we're going to see how Paul reminds them of who Jesus really is. And it's a powerhouse of a message. So stay tuned. Meet ReframeMedia.com, a web resource to help you in your Christian life. I want my children to be entertained, but also grow in their Christian faith. It's time for Kids Corner. Hi, Liz. Where can I get a daily spiritual shot in the arm? This is Today, a daily devotional to refresh, refocus, renew. And there's more. Think Christian, Church Juice, Family Fire, resources for every age to help you grow and build your faith. Explore and visit ReframeMedia.com today. I'm Dave Bast, along with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork, where today we're opening Paul's letter to the Colossians. As we've said, uh, this was a church that was not personally known to him, but he had had a full report from their founding pastor and evangelist, a man named Epaphras. He had heard about some of the issues that were going on there, and he wants to take them head on by pointing them to the glory of the cosmic Christ. And so here is Colossians 1, beginning at the 15th verse. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Dave, um, I read that purposely just a little bit breathlessly right now, because the first thing to notice here is that all those verses I just read are one sentence in the Greek language, over 270 words. Most translations break it up into six or seven sentences, not in the Greek. This is just one effervescent gush from the the pen of Paul. Yeah. And uh, through that passage, we can hear Paul is obviously writing from the post-resurrection perspective, and he mentions Christ's death on the cross, his sacrificial shedding of his blood for our redemption and the redemption of the whole creation, really. But we also hear echoes of Christmas, of the Advent uh, season, of the original story of Jesus' birth, because Paul says that he was the firstborn, yep. uh, and that inevitably makes us think of Mary's firstborn. He right. was also Mary's firstborn. In fact, he uses that that word or that phrase, firstborn, a couple of times. And he says he was before all things, which reminds us of John 1, verse 1. We've mentioned it before. In the beginning was the Word, and he was already there in the beginning. Just as Genesis starts, in the beginning, God, John's gospel starts, in the beginning was the Word or the Son, So Paul hits on those notes, too, in this passage. And he's the one who did all the talking in Genesis. Let there be, let there be, let there be. That was the Word of God, whom we now know as Jesus. All things were made through him. Who did did all the speaking. And throughout those verses, and I tried to punch it a little bit when I read it, Dave, the two words in Greek, tapanta, which means all things, 
And it's, again, all things, all things, all things, each thing, everything, all things. It comes up over and over and over uh, because Paul is saying, look, the whole kit and caboodle, everything from A to Z and back again, was made by Christ, for Christ, and only makes sense in Christ. So to all of you in Colossae who've been buying into these hierarchies of other gods and angels who kind of think maybe Jesus fits in there somehow, in the middle maybe, or maybe near the top, but not—no. Paul says, no, there are no others. He is the one, the, as you said earlier, Dave, uh, the cosmic Christ. This is a cosmic perspective on Christ. So forget the angels, forget the Greek and and other gods that maybe you've been told exist. Mm -mm. Jesus is it. Yeah. And maybe we could say a word about his opening phrase. He's the firstborn of the creation. Yeah. That was taken up by some to say, well, see, he's he's a creature. He's the right. first of creatures. And there was an ancient heresy still with us in some forms called yes. Arianism after the man Arius who proposed it, namely that Jesus is some kind of real high cosmic being, but he's not really God. He's the firstborn. It's better translated as it was in the version we read. He's the firstborn over creation. He holds the place of the firstborn son in the household. He's, he's really the co-ruler uh, with God. And just in case you're tempted to think firstborn means he was created, Paul later goes on in this very same passage to say, no, no, in him all the fullness of God right. was pleased to dwell in, in bodily form. So he is, uh, he is it, as you said. There's nobody higher. There's, he's God. Right. As we've been emphasizing throughout this series uh, for Advent, he is truly human, and he is like us in every way except for sin. But there's one other thing that's true of Jesus uh, as a divine human being that is not true of anybody else, and that is that, yeah, he existed long before he became a zygote in the uterus of Mary. <laughs> as, as my friend Luke Powery says, the Son of God was before was was. The Son of God was there before there was time, before there was creation, and he's the one who, who made it all. So, right, he didn't—there was not a time when the Son of God didn't exist and then right. he was born. There was a time when the human Jesus didn't exist, and he then became uh, alive in Mary's womb. But the the Son of God, who is the core of his person, was always there. He's eternal. He is fully God. It's also worth, I think, paying attention to that second firstborn in this passage. Paul says he's the firstborn from the dead. And of course, clearly that points us to the resurrection. He was the first. The people that Jesus raised from the dead, and he did it only a handful of times. Uh, There's one or two examples in the Old Testament uh, with the prophets. They were resuscitated. They were restored to life by the power of God in a wonderful way. And it's sort of a preview in a sense, uh, but it's not exactly the same as what he did himself and what he will do for us. He rose in the sense that he came into an entirely new way of being, a new way of life. And I remember one of my seminary professors saying, if you could have seen the resurrection, what you would have seen was all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. The body disappeared. Not he slowly got up and, you know, it's the life of the world to come. It's the life of the age to come. And he's the firstborn in in the sense that we will ultimately join him in that. He's the first fruits, Paul says elsewhere. Uh, He's the first bushel of corn in the the hopper of the combine. There's a lot more to come. And 
Indeed. As you just said, Dave, uh, we remember uh, Jesus' uh, famous conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We must be born again. And so we become Jesus' brothers and sisters when we are born again of the Spirit. And so he's the firstborn, and then we're the secondborn, the thirdborn, the fourthborn, you know, gazillionborn. We gain conformity to Christ when we gain a spiritual rebirth through baptism, uh, as Paul said in another passage we looked at in this series, when you're baptized, you're reborn. And now you are uh, an heir of the firstborn, the firstborn over all creation, but also the firstborn from the dead in his resurrection. If we die with him, we will rise with him. And when we rise with him, we receive a new birth as well. That's what Advent anticipates. That's what Christmas is all about. The core of the good news that we are also reborn unto eternal life. Right, exactly. We are reborn by the power of the Spirit, and we all need it. As he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it happens through our baptism, but also it needs to be joined to faith, living faith in Jesus. And Paul's going to talk about the importance of that faith and remaining in that faith when we look at one last passage from Colossians. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. So we're looking at Colossians, where Paul takes head on the idea that Jesus is just one among many divine figures or that you can kind of combine him, mix and match with other spiritualities. No, he is the cosmic Christ. He's the firstborn over the creation. He's the head of all things for his body, the church, and he's the firstborn from the dead. And then Paul goes on to talk about the importance of holding on to faith in Christ in uh, this passage from a little bit later in chapter one. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. By the way, we pointed out a minute ago that verses 15 through 20 comprise one giant 270-plus word sentence in Greek. Uh, what you just read, Dave, 21 through uh, 23 here is one more very long yeah. sentence. Not quite as long, but uh, Paul is just at a gush here to get the good news out. Yeah, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. And as we just said at the end of the previous segment, that means lots of spiritual rebirths. Our own rebirth becomes possible. But Paul says it's pretty important to have that spiritual rebirth, and he lays on—he doesn't spare the the rhetoric here. He said, look, you used to be God's enemies, you Colossians. Your previous behavior was evil. It wasn't just sort of naughty. It wasn't just sort of, yeah, a little off the mark. No, evil. 
strong language, but when we are sinners, uh, we cut ourselves off from God and from the only true source of life, and so we're lost, and that's why Jesus brought us back through his sacrificed body. But as you said, Dave, that's good news. That's the gospel. But because Paul has been hearing that the Colossian Christians were being tempted to weave in foreign ideas into the gospel, Paul has to give them a warning here. Hold the faith, or you could yet you know, be lost. Yeah. You know, there's a, a famous verse from the beginning of his letter to the Romans, his greatest theological treatise, where he talks about the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who has faith. There's that word again. There's a tendency, perhaps, a, a temptation, even among some Christians, to read that verse as if it said, it's the power of God for salvation, even if you don't have faith, because it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you remain in it or not, whether you kind of add to it or not. And you simply can't enlist Paul as a supporter of that view, that faith is a take it or leave it or a never mind about it. No, no. He said, it's so essential for us, yes, by God's grace, but to hang in there and to continue to put our hope and trust in the death of Jesus on the cross. He says here, his physical body given in death is what transformed you from that that previous sort of dead-end way of living to this living hope that we have. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And Dave, this is a timely word for us today. We don't want anything to eclipse the centrality of Jesus or the good news of the gospel. And there are lots of things out there in the world that try to eclipse this for us uh, today. We've noted before on Groundwork, you know, on social media or or elsewhere, uh, we get bombarded and our young people uh, get bombarded with a whole marketplace of competing spiritual ideas, different religions, different spiritual schemes. Not everything we hear, even sometimes from people who appear to be fellow Christians, would pass muster with Paul. So many ideas floating around. We have to resist the temptation as Christians to get caught up in the political dimensions of what's happening. Our citizenship is in heaven, to quote a great line from Paul's letter to the Philippians. We have a higher allegiance, and while we care about this world and we care about our countries and we care about our leaders, we must not confuse those with the hope that we have in Christ and find that we're actually living with a mixture of politics instead of just faith in Christ alone. And there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there, some of which promise other avenues of salvation or even other saviors or co-saviors. Some of that can look seductive to us. Or there are even little glosses on Christianity that we've noted before, something that the sociologist Christian Smith has labeled moral therapeutic deism. What is that? Well, it's the belief that God is just that kindly old man upstairs who isn't really paying that close of attention to our lives or our moral choices. So, you know, if you're a nice person, if you're a little nicer than the average, you'll go to heaven when you die. God grades on the curve. Um, Just be good, be kind, good enough. That can sound pretty seductive. Uh, And it can even be one of those things that you could say, well, it kind of sounds like stuff Jesus said, love your neighbor and the golden rule. And 
if it isn't the pure gospel that centers on the only one, the only superior one that Paul talks about here in Colossians 1, if that isn't our focus at Advent and Christmas, then we're missing what it really means that the Son of God came into this world to save us. Yeah, right. I mean, the idea of, you mentioned this deistic idea, God is out there somewhere, and we only really call on him to help us out of a jam or to help us in a fix. But no, Paul said Jesus came into the world to save us. He's now the head over all the creation. He's the head over all the church. And our business is to hold fast to him, to serve him, to be humble like he was humble in our service to others and to live out the implications. Jesus came to save, and he's coming again someday to finish the job. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork today. We're your hosts, Dave Bast with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media, a family of programs designed to see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframemedia.com for more information. Our recording engineer is Don Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.